Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got a, a great show lined up for you. I'm actually at a venue where we have a number of uh, scientific presentations. I'm in Lexington, Kentucky, and one of the folks I was really privileged to find was on the list of speakers, Dr. Ernie Medina, Jr. Ernie, it's great to have you with us. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. Ernie, I know you're not a stranger to our program, and in fact, uh, I know the university that you're associated with is not unfamiliar to my listeners, but you are an assistant professor at Loma Linda University School of Public Health in Southern California, and I know for many years Loma Linda has had a very strong connection with many of the Native American uh, tribes, educational uh, systems there in Southern California, and it's just really great to have you on the show today. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you know, that's exactly right. Um, I know the Sam Manuel tribe that's there near our university. I heard that when we were just starting the university, they were one of the few groups there that actually helped support them. They were very poor mm. and struggling. So, yeah, they have they support now Loma Linda a lot with uh, our buildings and, and different things. So, yeah, big support of the different tribes in the area. It's wonderful to see that collaboration mm -hmm. between folks in Indian country and, you know, Loma Linda University leadership there. One of the fascinating things uh, I think a lot of folks find about you, Ernie, is it seems that you've had this passion for exercise, exercise science. I know you teach there on the university campus, but so many people, as I run into them here, they say, oh, yeah, we saw Ernie in this venue or that venue. I know you've been featured on national TV. I saw uh, commercial with you, you know, featuring you. I think it was an insurance commercial yes. or something. So tell us a little bit about your background, how you ended up on this trajectory. Well, you know, I've always been interested in exercise and physical activity. And so uh, from a young age, my parents were always very active. My, my parents, my, my dad has passed away now, but my mom is still alive. She's going to be turning 85. But as kids, we were always introduced to, you know, tennis. We took tennis lessons and went to tennis camp and, you know, all different kinds of sports. Uh, so that just sort of carried on me. So then when I got into my work and professional life, uh, working in lifestyle medicine, yes, I did focus on nutrition and stress management and smoking cessation and some of those things. But exercise, the exercise component seemed to really attract me. And so I became involved in some of the organizations like American College of Sports Medicine. Uh, and they there they have a sort of like a, a division that they call exercise medicine. And that really resonated with me because they were showing how exercise is in a lot of ways better than medicine. And so, and, and it's interesting, you know, um, the founder of our church, right, the founder of our university, Lonely University, is Ellen G. White. And she wrote in Ministry of Healing, I found these several paragraphs on that about how she even says that, you know, exercising, walking outside, and then she has a line there, exercise in many ways is better than medicine. And this is 1905 mm. when she printed that. So she was way ahead of what ACSM was doing. Uh -huh. Now we have the science to back up what she said way back in the early 1900s. I mean, it's exciting to see people really on the forefront of that field. And, of course, in Indian country, very 
high levels of activity historically mm-hmm, before mm-hmm, European contact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, uh, things have changed with boarding school eras, reservations, I mean, all of that. So, you know, some folks today, whether they're native or not, I mean, it seems like the rule for many people is that they're not very active. What have you been doing to try to change that whole dynamic in society? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I see that everywhere. I mean, you know, I'll have, I've had, you know, Native Americans as patients before I came to the university. I was working at a medical clinic there in Redlands, California, which is right next to Loma Linda, and I worked there for 21 years. So I was I was doing small group classes and also individual patients, mm-hmm. and I you know I saw all walks of life. I mean, Southern California is like a melting pot. It's like mm-hmm. a United Nations. I mean, all nationalities there, and you know I, what I realized is while there may be cultural differences, everybody has the same struggles as well as desires. They you know they want to be safe, they want to mm-hmm. be healthy, they want their kids. You know, they want their kids to do well. And so they struggle with a lot of the same things. And, uh, you know, it's just the modern day stresses and conveniences really put a lot of barriers in a lot of people's way of being physically active. And uh, so I tried to find ways to make it enticing. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, what will motivate somebody to, to get out and exercise? And one of the things that I've, I've really come to realize time and time again is that it's not that we don't have enough time. You know, you look at people who are physically active and fit and busy, yet how do they stay physically active? Because they, they all, we all have the same 24 hours. Mm. But why are some people able to fit it in regularly and others aren't? And and I found that it, it's like if you really like something and enjoy doing it, mm. you're going to make the time to do it. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, like I, you know, I tell this all the time, so this is not a secret, but I hate running. Okay. You know, I, I don't like, <laughs> and I, well, I, let me qualify that. I, I don't like running just to run. Uh-huh. But if I'm chasing something or if I'm being chased, then I don't mind running. Okay. So, um, so for me, it has to be fun. It uh-huh. has to have some more purpose than just running on a street or something. I mean, I, you know, I know there's a lot of runners out there and they don't like that. But I, so for me, I found for most people, the patients that I'm seeing, you know, if they're not runners already, then I'm probably going to see them. If they're not exercising, then it needs to be fun. Mm. So that's what I've always tried to look for is what is fun and enjoyable. And if they can do it with other people like their family or friends, that's another another thing that will hook them into that lifestyle. And if, if, if it can have more hooks, then they're going to make it more of a lifestyle habit. So that's why I've, I've always been on a quest to look for what physical activities are out there that have those characteristics. I know one of the last times you and I connected, mm-hmm. and, and we actually had you on the radio show, you were talking about technology mm. and some of the things you were pushing on in that yes. envelope. I know for some folks, uh, there's folks that listen, whether on, on a reservation, whether they're in an urban area, they have you know good Internet access. But other folks, they're in pretty remote areas. They don't have the kind of bandwidth that allows them to do some of these interactive activities online. Mm-hmm. I know you've kind of moved to more um, hands-on type things, at least mm-hmm. here in this conference, you're actually running a class for the participants. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing here. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, that's interesting you brought that up. It was it was called Exer Gaming or in the literature, you know, Robert Swood Johnson was one of our big founders for that whole movement and they call it active gaming. Yeah, I, I think we were like almost a little bit ahead of our time because we, it was really hard to disconnect the TV screen and technology from the benefits that it was providing. Mm. But I saw it as a, you know, I think I've heard you say this too, you know, meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so those those patients, especially pediatric patients that I was working with that were o- overweight and obese, they weren't going to go out and join the sports team. Okay, they were usually right, picked right. last anyway. So they, they already have a negative, connoti- you know, negative vibe from those things. Mm-hmm. But man, playing video games, they love that. So mm-hmm. I said, well, okay, they love that. 
So here's a technology that allows them to play video games and get exercise. So I thought it was a win-win, but in the end, it was really tough to sell to everybody else. I mean, because mm. all they saw was the video game. They didn't see their kids sweating, you know, uh-huh. turning red. And so and even we did the studies. We did studies that were sponsored, you know, NIH and US, USDA and showed that they burned more and they, they had a lower rate of perceived exertion doing these exercises with, if it was connected to the video game. But at the end, it was just it, was just, it seemed like it was just a hard sell. Mm. So I, I sort of then drifted back towards the more natural kinds of things. And then about 2015, 2016, well, two things happened. Um, I got introduced to pickleball okay. from my mom in Michigan. I was visiting her in Michigan. And um, I also got diagnosed with cardiomyopathy. Oh, wow. Now, now you got our interest here because some folks, they hear pickleball. Mm-hmm. They immediately know, you know what we're talking about. But other people are thinking cucumbers and what is that? <laughs> so explain to us pickleball if some folks are not okay. familiar with it. Yeah, you know, pickleball uh, has been around since 1965, actually. It was created on Bainbridge Island, which is an island off of Seattle. And uh, it, was, it was created, get this, it was created by three dads who had a bunch of bored kids at their summer home. Huh. One of them was a congressman and a couple businessmen from Seattle area. So they created this game on a badminton court they had there, lowered the net, cut out some paddles from from plywood and they had a wiffle ball you know what family doesn't didn't have a wiffle ball uh-huh. and that's how they created pickleball uh oh. was from that court uh and so from that point on 1965 and, and the other thing that's interesting about that is because i was born in 1965 okay so okay. i i said oh we were both born in the same year that is <laughs> so interesting. i was destined to find this sport uh, but uh, from that point on it was around in schools but it wasn't really popular until about maybe 15 years ago when they created a temp- a temporary net that you could set up literally anywhere. Hmm. You know, you didn't have to be in a gym. Uh-huh. So pickleball, look, it's on a badminton court, size court, so the dimensions are like the same as a badminton court. And you have two paddles. Uh, it's not a racket because a racket is a, a tool that has strings, like a tennis uh-huh. racket uh-huh. or a racquetball racket. A paddle is a paddle that doesn't have strings, so like a okay. ping-pong paddle. Okay, right. So we call it a paddle. It doesn't have any strings or rubber on it. And then the ball is like a wiffle ball, plastic ball. Uh-huh. And you're hitting it over this net. Like So a lot of times when people look at it and they see it playing for the first time, they say, oh, that looks like mini tennis. That's uh-huh. what they say. But when you actually play it for the first time, they will say it feels like you're playing ping-pong on a court. Okay. So that's, that's, the, probably the, that's the expression I hear all the time. They, oh, this is like playing ping-pong. So now... To just conceptualize this for mm-hmm. folks that are trying to track along, mm-hmm. people think of these uh, net sports, if we want to call mm-hmm. it that, or racket sports, even mm-hmm. though it's a paddle, yeah. not a racket. And sometimes you've got to bounce the ball before you hit it. Other right. times you don't want don't, it to hit the ground. Right. How does it work in pickleball? Yeah, it's, it's it's similar in a lot of ways to tennis. There are some unique rules to pickleball. For example, um, there is an area near the net called the non-volley zone. So a volley... Mm is when you hit the ball in the air before it bounces, like in volleyball, okay. right? Uh-huh. You're, you're hitting the ball before it bounces. Right. So that's a that's a considered a stroke. It's a stroke called the volley. So there's a seven-foot area, a rectangle area, in front of the net called the non-volley zone. So you can't go into that space and smash the ball in the air. In tennis, uh-huh. you can. Uh-huh. Right, right. So that's very unique to pickleball. Uh, but other than that, it's it's very similar. I mean, you can hit the ball in the air uh-huh. if you want, like an overhead smash uh-huh. or a volley, or you can let it bounce on the ground oh, and then okay. hit it after that. So, and, uh, uh, for both, you know, most parts, it's basically similar to tennis in that way. Okay. So, what has been your experience with this? When you got interested in it, were there a huge number of people in Southern California, Loma Linda area that were pickleballers, and you just kind of got wrapped in with the thousands who were doing it? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Um, 
when I learned about it in Bering Springs, Michigan, which is the southern west corner of Michigan, I, I thought, oh, I love this game. You know, it, this is great. I went back to California to Loma Linda, Southern Cal, and there was no pickleball presence like within a 30-mile radius of Loma Linda. Wow, zero. Zero, okay. nothing. And so I thought, well, so I ended up buying a temporary net. We call these portable nets or portable nets. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you could set them up anywhere. It's like a freestanding net. Okay. So I bought one of those because my mom had one, and we had set it up in her driveway. Uh-huh. So I bought one of those, and so like around July, July 4 weekend, I went to a local tennis court in Loma Linda, public tennis court, invited about eight or eight or so friends. They came out, and we played it for the first time there. You know, we, And we just chucked out the court. So I had tape measures, huh. and we just chucked out the court. It's 44 feet long uh, by 20 feet wide. So we just chalked it out and uh, divided up the lines and the sections in the, por- of the court and then played. That was July of 2016. So just, you know, we were – and then we kept growing, 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 jumping around all over. Went to Drayson Center finally. And, and that's a center at the Loma Linda University, right? Exactly. That's the wellness center at Loma Linda University because it was growing so big. I was hauling all the equipment. Oh, okay. all the, by then we had like six nets. Okay. So I'm hauling all the equipment, all the paddles. Most people had their own paddles by then. But I said, you know, if this is going to keep growing without me being the one in charge, I have to find a place where it can grow without me. So that's mm-hmm. when I approached Loma Linda and the Drayson Center. They said, well, try it as an experiment. This, by this time, it was the fall of 2017, a okay. year later. Okay. So by January of I – mean, I'm sorry, that was the fall of 2016. So we've been playing for about three months. Oh, okay. And it had been exploding. So they said, well, try for an experiment. So from the fall of 2016 to the – January 2017, we just exploded at the Drayson uh-huh. Center. We had like 50, 60 people on one tennis court. Because see, on one tennis court, you can fit four pickleball courts. No way. On yeah. one tennis on court, one you tennis court. four pickleball yeah. courts. So we had – so can you imagine 50 people at this one tennis court waiting to rotate in to play on one of these four courts? And then you look at the other three, four tennis courts at the Drayson Center, and there's like maybe four – Six, eight people max huh. on all the, you know, they're playing singles right, right. or doubles, some doubles, some singles. But here you had 50 people on one tennis court because you can have four, 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 and four, right? Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. got 16 people playing at the same time. And so Drayson Center looked at that and they're like, oh man, <laughs> you know, this is a no brainer. So that summer, so a year later now, 2017, uh-huh. they said, we're going to convert all these courts to pickleball or add lines to the tennis courts. And that's how we now have 26 courts there at Drayson Center. Wow. This is an amazing story. We're going to talk about the ramifications of pickleball, but activity in general. We want to talk about things that you can use, whether there's any options for pickleball in your community. And if you're listening to Ernie, he'd probably say, hey, there's no limitations anywhere you can do this. (laughs) But we're going to hear that. So stay tuned. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Dr. Ernie Medina is staying by. We'll be right back after these messages. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times. And it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. 
Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Dr. Ernie Medina with me. We're in a live venue, actually. We're sitting across from each other in a booth space in Lexington, Kentucky, there are a number of um, health professional organizations, lectures, workshops going on in this venue. Dr. Medina has traveled all the way from Loma Linda, California to Kentucky, and he's not only been motivating the participants here to exercise and to prioritize that, but also giving them some practical instruction. Ernie, I know one of the things they've got lined up is some pickleball classes. You're going to actually be teaching people how to play that game. That's right. Yeah, this afternoon. Yep. Well, I think one of the questions that you may have gotten already here at this venue mm-hmm. is, why would I want to learn how to play pickleball? I mean, it sounds interesting, but I've got health problems. Maybe maybe someone who's listening, they tried to play tennis, let's say. Mm-hmm. It was just too demanding for them. Maybe they're up in years. They used to be a tennis player. They've got knee issues. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about some folks who have different barriers to exercise. Is pickleball maybe a fit for them? Right, right. No, you're exactly right. Um you know, when I talk to people and try to motivate them to exercise, I, you know, you address the barriers for them. And so one of them, yeah, is, is like some physical limitations. Mm-hmm. Because pickleball, the paddle is smaller, so it's easier to control, and the mm-hmm. ball is plastic, so it goes slower than okay. a tennis ball. So I've had my diabetic patients out there after class and uh, just hitting the ball easily. Mm-hmm. And even though they get out of breath, they can do it. They can do it, mm-hmm. and they can do it at because it's easy to control the paddle on the ball. Mm-hmm. Then as you get better in shape, better in skill, you can, you know, the game can go faster. So the learning curve of pickleball is much, much easier than, than most other racket sports. Because uh-huh. I, I, you know, like I said, I played tennis since I was 12. I took a lot of tennis lessons mm-hmm. at the tennis mm-hmm. camp and all this. It takes a lot to get good at uh, tennis. 
if I was teaching a beginner and I just hit the ball easy to them on the other side, the ball's going way too fast and the court's way too big and the balls uh, are flying all over the uh -huh, place. Uh -huh. Pick a ball. I could teach a brand new, never played before person and within an hour they could be playing the, their first game. And uh, that would be unheard of in, in tennis. And so uh -huh. the learning curve is so much easier in pickleball. So that's one of the attractions. The other attraction is that it's so accessible. Mm -hmm. So you could set it up anywhere. I, I've, we've set up, I've played pickleball in um, streets, driveways, mm -hmm. parking lots, tennis courts. Last, the last summit we had that, you know, that we're at now, mm -hmm. 2019 out in Albuquerque, I actually set up the pickleball net and court inside the hallway itself. Of a hotel. They, of the hotel. Because okay. they had no courts there and they had no flat area that I could set up. Uh -huh. So I set it right up in the hotel. Wow. <laughs> and so we were playing inside the hotel in the hallway. So that's the thing. It's very accessible. So you can, if you have a flat, hard surface and a net and some paddles and a ball, you could set it up pretty much anywhere. So accessibility is, is another big thing. So it's definitely not amenable, though, to a, a grassy field. Right. Yeah. It, 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 the plastic ball would have to bounce on it. So okay. even, even the carpet in here, which is a very low pile and it's, you know, pretty hard floor, they have special balls, indoor balls that are bouncier. Oh, interesting. So you, you know, I can do it inside. Like I said, I did in the, in the carpet uh -huh. in the hotel. But yeah, grass and sand, it would not, okay, <laughs> that fair. probably wouldn't bounce. Okay, but so if they've got a parking lot, mm -hmm. if uh, a gymnasium. Gym floor, yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, or a large multi-purpose room. Exactly. So the dimensions are 44 feet long, is right, that right? Right, 44 feet long, that's from baseline to baseline, and okay. then 20 feet wide. That's okay. the actual dimensions of the court. Then you want a little bit, you know, three or four feet on either side for right. out of bounds, right? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so it's something that pretty portable. Mm -hmm. You can have these portable nets. You can just mm -hmm. bring those with you. Mm -hmm. The rackets. I mean, we're talking like investment. If maybe a tribal health program is saying, "Hey, this might be worth trying," is it really pricey? Oh stuff? no, no, no. I mean, you can buy you can buy paddles at Walmart. You can buy them at Costco. You can buy them pretty much anywhere now. They're all over the place. Plus, I mean, you could start off the. If you get like a lot of schools will have wooden paddles. That's what I started with. Uh -huh. It looks like a piece of plywood just cut out and lacquered. Uh -huh. That's like ten bucks. Okay. And then you can go up in price from there. So schools will usually have that wooden paddle, but you know there's a lot of paddle programs. Like Selkirk is a is a big name paddle uh -huh. company. Um, they have a, a donation program for mm -hmm. for kids. So mm -hmm. they support youth and kids. So Paddle Tech, uh, Gearbox, they all do something to promote youth in schools. Oh, nice, nice. So, so there's even grants. There are even wow. grants from the USA Pickleball. Um, that's the national governing body. Mm -hmm. We give grants to community groups and also school or youth youth groups, and then they can use that money to buy equipment. Well, I'm looking at your attire, and that's one of the unfortunate <laughs> things about radio. But you've got a, a shirt that says USA Pickle or PA. I'm assuming yeah, US, that's, USA Pickleball Association. Now it's just USA Pickleball. Okay, an and ambassador. Mm -hmm. Are that's like an official title they've mm -hmm. given you? It's it's a volunteer. It's mm -hmm. a volunteer position. But I became the ambassador at Loma Linda. Mm -hmm. So, like I was saying earlier, you know, when we started there at Drayson Center, and it was growing so big, I was the only. USA Pickleball ambassador in that whole area from USA Pickleball. and um, But from that point on, from 2017 on, people started saying, hey, let's we should start this in our city. So being the only ambassador, I would go and talk to city council or Parks mm. and Rec. We'd drive around. I remember in Riverside, we were driving around looking at tennis courts, public tennis courts, to see what wasn't being used. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward now to today, every city around Loma Linda, and I, you know, there's Highland, Yucaipa, Redlands, Moreno Valley, Riverside, Grand Terrace, San Bernardino, the ring of cities around mm -hmm. us, all have pickleball clubs, wow. all have courts. 
you have people playing every single day. Mm-hmm. So there's literally hundreds of people playing pickleball now in all those cities every day, except when it's raining. So everybody's heard more activities better in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're not overdoing it, not right. uh, you know hurting some pre-existing condition. You did mention some health history before we had a step away. You mentioned cardiomyopathy. Mm. So tell us a little bit, first of all, about what that is and then how pickleball fit into that equation. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've been a big mountain biker all my life. Mm-hmm. And so I mountain bike. I, I coach mountain biking for my daughter was in school. I was her coach on her team. And then I also coached homeschool kids. So I'm now in my, like my third generation of kids that, wow. that are, are learning mountain biking. And so, but around 2016, I, I was riding out there and I was just feeling like, oh man, I feel out of breath. Like uh-huh. I, I'm, I'm more tired than I should be for this particular part of the trail. Mm-hmm. And I got checked out by a buddy of mine where I used to work at the clinic and he's a cardiologist and found out I have cardiomyopathy. So my ejection fraction had dropped down to 30%. Hmm. And, and I said, oh, that doesn't sound good. And he said, yeah, you know, 20% would be, you'd be put on the transplant list. So maybe normal might be 60% exactly. somewhere in that range. Yep. So so your ability for your heart to pump was severely compromised. Right. Was, were they able to connect <laughs> the dots and say why that was? You know, I had no other risk factors. And so all he said was, well, it must have been viral. Mm-hmm. So I picked up a virus somewhere, got into my heart muscle, damaged it enough. But because I was so active, the, it didn't present itself. It was very gradual deterioration. Mm-hmm. But now I had to be started on medication. And then that helps my heart to rest. Uh, a beta blocker. And so, so every year now I get tested mm-hmm. and every year it goes up a little bit. So like my last test, my ejection fraction was like at uh, 55%. Oh, wow. So it's getting, it's getting closer back to the normal range. Uh-huh. So yeah. But pickleball, see, I started pickleball in 2016 near the beginning of that diagnosis mm-hmm. and I could play doubles for two or three hours and not have any ill effects. So uh-huh. it was moderate intensity enough that I could do, I, you know, I couldn't play ultimate frisbee anymore because that's way too intense. I couldn't ride mountain biking as hard as I used to. Uh, and during COVID, I actually got an e-mountain bike. So now that, uh-huh. that allows me to ride and feel like I don't have the cardiomyopathy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But pickleball has been a savior for me from a, from a physical activity standpoint because it allows me to stay very active with my condition. Well, I mean, this is great. I mean, I love your story because there's so many folks that, in my experience, disqualify themselves from activity. Mm. They say, I can't do that, can't do this. And I'm not saying some of that isn't totally legitimate. But it's just nice to know that there's something that people can do that a lot of people are finding enjoyable, mm-hmm. engaging, that is not as demanding as a lot of the you know traditional sports. That's right. I mean, you know, you look at my mom at 85, mm-hmm. right? She's 85, and then you look at – I've taught kids as young as 10. So, you know, you can have a grandparent, a parent, and a grandchild all playing on the same court wow. and being at the same level. I mean, that's that's the unique thing about pickleball. I mean, the top female pro – in pickleball right today is a 16-year-old girl. You know, they tend to think of pickleball as only for the seniors, but uh-huh. the top pro female is a 16-year-old from Florida. Now, this is an education because I didn't know there was professional pickleball. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, the pro leagues have been around just in the last couple of years. Uh-huh. A couple of billionaires have come in and started oh, these pro tours. So, yeah, there there is a whole pro tour, uh, two pro tours actually. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, there's pros out there that, you know, in the beginning, they just played at tournaments as a pro but they, there was, you know, the cash money was so small. Mm-hmm. So they had to still do their day jobs. I right, mean, one right. pro is a lawyer by day, okay. and then he plays tournaments on the weekends. Uh-huh. Uh, but now it's getting to the point where they're almost being able to make a living with sponsors. Really? Mm-hmm. So somebody's listening to this show, and uh, they're saying, wow, I, I like athletics. I like sports. I've never found a sport that I like. Mm-hmm. Maybe a young person. Mm-hmm. 
So this could be a, a oh, career for them? It's You know, in the collegiate level, it uh-huh. is exploding. They just had the first national collegiate tournament. And so they had teams from the colleges, uh, you know, in the states playing there. And so it's not, you know, it's not in the NCAA or it's, you know, anything like that, but it's, it's, it's going to be there because it's, it's exploding. Are there actually schools that give scholarships for pickleball there, players? I think there are a couple now. They're, really? Yeah, very, just very recently. But see, uh-huh. it's all very, very new. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, so what about the benefits? I mean, are there more or less benefits to pickleball mm-hmm. than other forms of activity? You know, how does that fit into the equation? Well, you know, we talk about mental health, right, because mm-hmm. of COVID and, and all the stresses. And so Dr. John Rady, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's done a lot of re- – he wrote the book Spark. That, oh, right. Yeah, right, that did the, the uh-huh. study in, in on kids and, and PE and brain health. So he wrote once five characteristics of an exercise that is best for your brain. And so, well, uh, yeah, so there are five characteristics, and Pickleball has them all. Wow. We, we want to go into this. Okay. We do have to step away. So I'm talking with Dr. Ernie Medina. We want to talk about why exercise can actually help your brain, some of the powerful things it can do, and why Pickleball may be in your future. And if not something else. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be back with more right after these important words. Stay tuned. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov slash support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov slash meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. 
Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest, Dr. Ernie Medina. He is based at Loma Linda University, the School of Public Health in Loma Linda, California. But we are having the privilege of meeting face-to-face, looking at each other, and talking about exercise right here in Lexington, Kentucky. We're at a venue that has brought together health professionals and others who are wanting to make a difference in community health. And Ernie has been uh, sharing with us uh, as a group things that can make a difference as far as physical activity. Ernie, before we stepped away, you were talking to us a bit about how pickleball checks all the boxes, as you said, as far Mm -hmm. as the kind of exercise we should be looking for as far as optimal brain benefits. So first of all, tell us, you know, how this connection comes, you know, exercise brain. Most people think exercise heart, exercise muscles. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit Mm -hmm. about that first. Yeah, you know, as we've gotten more technology to measure brain activity and brain health, we're seeing that that our body and our activity impacts our brain a lot more than we and we we use our brain a lot more than than we thought. And so pickleball and exercise in particular hits that. Um, Dr. John Rady, who's probably the leading researcher in exercise and brain health, he said uh, there are five characteristics of any exercise that you can look at to see is it good for your brain health. And so the first one is, and this is in no particular order, is is it social? Do you do it with other people? Mm. So like riding on the, doing the elliptical this morning was not very social. You know, it's by myself. But mm-hmm. is it social? Can you do it with other people? Number two, is it outside? Can you perform it outside? And, mm. you know, you've, I'm sure you've talked a lot about the benefits of exercising in nature and mm-hmm. outside. You mm-hmm. mentioned vitamin D this morning. So is it outside? Number three, does it get your heart rate up? So, yeah, for people who especially are out of shape, play, just playing the simple portion of, you know, a, a simple aspect of pickleball definitely gets our heart rate up. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, does it, do you have to use your mind mm. to, to do the sport? So, for example, running, walking on a treadmill, it's a no-brainer. It's very uh-huh. boring for uh-huh. me, so I have to read something or watch something. So do you have to use your mind to do the activity? And then the fifth one is, does it create a healthy addiction? So mm. for me, the treadmill, it's like my last <laughs> plan. Z, it's plan Z, 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 uh-huh. if I, that's all I have left to do. So, But pickleball, one of the common things you'll find out in pickleball is that people try it, and the most common word we'll hear is they get addicted to pickleball. You know, huh. you were talking this morning in your talk about doing it every day or something, and you asked me that question in your meeting, <laughs> uh-huh. I said, yeah, that, you know, the, the more they can play. And that, that's sort of the the downside of pickleball is that you get these unfit people, <laughs> they love it so much, they play every day for two or three hours, and we know about overuse, right? Uh-huh. Too uh-huh. soon, too much, too soon. So that's why they're saying, oh, pickleball's bad for you because, you know, it's so dangerous and you're getting all these orthopedic injuries. It's not because of the pickleball, it's because people are not doing it mm. smartly. So. So pickleball fits all five of those things, creates a healthy addiction and, and all that on. So so when I've been looking for something to introduce to people, to patients, that they could do where they're at, that are out of shape and unfit, and it checks off all five boxes, I'm like, man, where was pickleball when I was working you know, mm. in the clinic 30 years ago? Mm-hmm. I, I would have set that up in our parking lot wow. or whatever. Uh-huh. I wish I had known about it back then. So this is amazing stuff, and some folks are saying, listen, I'm never going to hit a ball. We're not going to do that in our tribal center, whatever people are thinking, they say, you know, we have maybe more culturally appropriate things. Mm. But whatever they're hearing today, Ernie, I hear you making a plea for people finding ways to become engaged physically. There's been so much science written on this, but I find still a lot of people don't know the whys. I mean, they say, hey, I've got 
high blood pressure and diabetes. It's hard enough for me to watch my diet. Why should I be exercising? Speak to some folks as to mm. what, what the other benefits are beside the mental health benefits. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you're physically active and using your heart, using your muscles, you know, that's going to have a whole host of benefits uh, for your body from head to toe. You know, we talked about the mind a little bit. And, you know, obviously for like for myself, for example, my heart is a big one. And so I that's how I get most of my main cardiovascular activity right now. And because I enjoy it, I want to keep playing as often as I can. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, there's courts right here at the hotel. <laughs> So it's like people have already been asking me, can we play tonight after the meeting? And uh-huh. I said, sure, I'll, I'll be out there. So, um, you, you know, finding something that you can do that you enjoy and do it as a lifestyle. You know, uh-huh. I'm not doing this as a sport to, to play. In, I play in tournaments, but that's not my main reason why, why uh-huh. I'm doing pickleball. It's because it's, it's like brushing my teeth. You know, it's like, like all the other healthy habits we want. It's a part of my lifestyle and I can enjoy it with friends and family. So for me, I'm an extrovert. So I love being around people. Uh-huh. And on my Facebook account now, I, I have over 4,000 friends. I would say two-thirds, if not more, are pickleball people. Really? People I've met all across, all all walks of life, all SESs, all nationalities. And, you know, you meet another pickleballer and boom, you know, you're like instant friends. It's uh-huh. a common denominator. I met three here already today, local okay. people, Sunday afternoon. And the one lady's coming back to help me with the clinics this afternoon. That's great. Without pickleball, I would never have met these people you know, from Lexington here, you know, ever before. Now, because you're a pickleball ambassador, does mm-hmm. that mean, I mean, I'm not involved with the sport, mm-hmm. uh, just full disclosure to my listeners, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're not paying us for this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, program. Because you're a pickleball ambassador, does that mean that you're kind of a recognizable face? Is, is it that level? Or? Yeah, yes, yes. Uh-huh. I'm, I, I'm a vol- it's a volunteer position. Uh, but it is with the national governing body called USA Pickleball. Mm-hmm. So they make the rules. They, you know, make the standards of the sport, that kind of thing. Just like other sports have, you know, USA Swimming, USA mm-hmm. Gymnastics. Mm-hmm. USA Pickleball is the national governing body. So I actually am an ambassador with them. And then I also uh, got elected on the board. So I actually oh, okay. serve on the board of directors. And so it's really interesting to see the pickleball universe from that 30,000 foot level, mm-hmm. at least here in our country. But it's also involved with the international because we're trying mm-hmm. to get in the Olympics. Oh, Every, really? Everybody's saying, when is it going to be in the Olympics? When is it going to be in the Olympics? Well, we need a lot more infrastructure in the in the worldwide setting. Mm. So that's why I said with kids coming in now, if they get in now at pickleball, let's say at, at the junior high level, mm-hmm. start playing now because, again, it's easy to pick up. I wish I had learned this back then. Mm-hmm. Get in now. By the time they're an early young adult, they could be the first Olympians in pickleball. Wow. That's, that's so that's, they have that opportunity, thought. yeah. Well, let's segue a little bit because your interests in the public health arena mm-hmm. extend beyond exercise. Mm-hmm. So you're a teacher, assistant professor there at Loma Linda University. Tell us a little bit about some of the other work that you do, either research or teaching. Yeah, I teach in our health coaching program, which is in our one of our master's program. So health coaching uh, is a, and we have a, a seminar here that's going to talk about that. But health coaching is a profession that is fairly new to medicine and healthcare, but they're finding that a lot of people in healthcare now, they just don't either have the time or expertise to help people make lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. But a health coach is trained to help be a partner and a guide to that, to that person to make those changes. So I'm involved in that, teaching that to our students. And then I also teach exercise science. So I teach uh, exercise physiology class to, to our students as well. And then I teach other public health classes to other like our dental students right now, I'm teaching that in the mm-hmm. course. So I, I teach a variety of things. I used to teach smoking cessation class, and I do all the smoking cessation programs on campus, which you think, who smokes at Loma Linda? But because of the medical center, we have a lot of 
a lot of people who are spouses of nurses or mm-hmm. or people there that work there, and they're on the insurance plan. So they have to, if they smoke, they have to go through a, a quit smoking program. Oh, okay. So I do that. And then I work with diabetics. I work with our diabetes treatment center as well. Mm-hmm. We have the CDC program, the Diabetes Prevention Program. So um, I, I help with that as well. I know a lot of tribes are very much engaged with the mm. Diabetes Prevention Program. Mm. We've heard a lot of good things coming out of Indian country about that. Good. For folks that may not have that on their radar screen, whether they're not native, maybe they're you know far removed from a, a tribal center or reservation, why is exercise so critical either in diabetes or in pre-diabetes? Oh. That's been one of your big you know, <laughs> foci. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I talk about that in my exercise physiology class big time. I talk about exercise as being crucial to anybody who's either pre-diabetic or diabetic. Number one, I say, you know, after a meal, especially a big meal, go out and do a mild walk, you know, not a run or an exercise, but go do a mild walk uh, about 10, 15 minutes after and then that will help open up your cells, if you, even if you have what we call insulin resistance, right? I'm sure you've talked about that on your show. Uh, it'll open up all the doors and let the sugar go in, even if they have that insulin resist- resistance. And then secondly, um, if they're exercising on a regular basis, they are going to be doing the, they're going to be helping to reduce that insulin resistance in the first place. So that takes a little longer. And then the third thing is, is that if they're exercising with the strength training, so I was talking about walking and cardiovascular aerobic type of activity, if they're doing strength training, I'll say to the students, I'll say, so when you're working out with weights, what are you building more of? And they'll say, oh, well, getting stronger, you're building more muscles. I say, that's like building new additions to your home, brand new rooms that their keyhole of their locks are still brand new clean. They're not clogged up. They're not insulin resistant. So you're actually making more cells that will be able to take and handle the insulin to open those doors. So exercise both aerobically and anaerobically can can be a triple whammy on diabetes. So we've talked a lot in this program, Dr. Medina, about pickleball. Mm-hmm. But I hear some folks connecting the dots and they're saying, okay, he's been advocating pickleball, but now we hear him talking about resistance training and weight training, mm-hmm. strength training. Do you tell people that maybe pickleball is not all they should be doing? They should be doing some other activity? Help us with that. That's an excellent point. I mean, I am a big advocate of training off the court. Mm. Two things mainly, to improve your performance, but also to prevent injury. So like my mom, 85, I told you, right, when I was back there visiting her, she was doing the cardio training outside of pickleball in in their gym at this university, but I made sure she started doing the weights. Mm. So building them, you know, using the machines for full body, because when you're playing pickleball, you know, you're using certain muscle groups. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're using all your, you're running, you're squatting, you're twisting your core, Mm -hmm. you're using your arm to swing. And so you're using pretty much your whole body. So... I say, look, as we get older, cardiovascular, you know, walking, running, swimming, those pickleball mm-hmm. is not enough to stop loss of muscle. Mm-hmm. And that loss starts around 30 years old or so, right? So you need to be doing strength training, whether it's calisthenics or weights or the bands or whatever kind of strength training you can do. You need to do that off the court to prevent injury and to, and to slow down or stop the muscle loss. And so, yeah, so I am a big I, – I do it myself. I, I've been doing it every day here at the, at the hotel. In the mornings. So muscle loss is a real issue, like you said, once we get into our, our 30s or so, even if our weight's the same. Is mm-hmm. that true? Well, that's the, that's the interesting because people will say, oh, my weight hasn't changed, but we'll do a body fat composition on mm. them. And I'll say, well, your weight's the same, your BMI's the same, but your body fat percentage, they've lost muscle mm-hmm. and maybe some bone, and then they've gained fat. 
So their their weight, their overall weight looks the same, but their composition has gotten worse. Mm -hmm. So that's why I want to do a lot of weight loss. I do a lot of stuff with body composition Mm -hmm. because I want them not to be so. In fact, I tell my in my weight loss classes, the first class, I'll tell them I'm trying to make my BMI go up. Okay. They're like, what? (laughs) This is is the right class, right? I say, yeah, I'm trying to make my BMI go up. I'm trying to make my percent body fat go down and my Mm. my muscle go up. Mm -hmm. And you know, it takes a while for a lot of people to to actually resonate with that. But you know, here's the other thing. In space, they can be getting the best nutrition. This is sort mm-hmm. of my my jab at nutritionists. And mm-hmm. sometimes they could be getting the best nutrition, or somebody in a coma could mm-hmm. be getting the best nutrition that medicine can buy them, right? And yet, what will happen to those two types of people, astronauts and the coma person patient? They're still going to lose muscle, mm-hmm. even though they they could be on the best plant based diet. If you're not physically active, both cardio and aerobic uh, and anaerobically strength training. You're still going to lose muscle and bone. That's what that's what's keeping us from going into deep space, hmm. because we don't have a way of we don't have gravity on our spaceships. We don't have hyperspeed. We don't have gates. You know, we don't have any of that kind of travel. So it's going to take too long to get to Mars and actually survive the trip. Wow! Even if you have the best nutritional, you know, whatever NASA can buy, it's not going to be enough. So that's why I, I say we were we were created to move. I, I love this concept, and we do want to talk a bit more about it because you've already made a strong case for the importance of exercise when it comes to insulin and blood mm. sugar and just how critical that is. But we also want to talk about bone health and some of the other things that, that seem to go along with the importance of maintaining and gaining muscle mass. Mm-hmm. We do have to step away just briefly. We've got one final segment coming up. Dr. Ernie Medina is staying by. I encourage you to do so as well because a lot of practical things coming up in our final segment. Dr. DeRose here. Don't go away. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. 
Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking with Dr. Ernie Medina. He's been sharing his enthusiasm for exercise. He's talked about how it's made a difference in his own life and how he's translating that to the masses. He's been doing that here at a professional venue in Lexington, Kentucky, far from his home in Southern California, where he is an associate professor at Loma Linda University's School of Public Health. Ernie, we're talking about this muscle mass issue, and a lot of people say, well, I don't need any more muscle mass, but you already made a great case for why this is so important as far as glucose uptake, sugar uptake, so if someone is pre-diabetic or diabetic. But what are some of the other things on the list? Why does someone, let's say, who's wanting to lose weight, why would it benefit them to have more muscle mass? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Well, if you have more muscle, you have a higher metabolism. Mm. So that's that's a big thing. That's why these people will say, yeah, as I've been getting older, my my, metab- my metabolism is slowing down. And it's, yeah, it's it's not because they're getting older necessarily. It's because they've been losing muscle mm-hmm, over time. Mm-hmm. So I would say that would probably be one of the biggest things. And then there's another thing. You know, this is more of a psychological thing. People who exercise and feel good about their body. Because when mm. you do strength training, it, it affects your posture. It affects mm. how you carry yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, that has almost like a subconscious impact on your health choices, on your motivation to mm. choose the better foods, to eat better, to watch things. And so I find that it psychologically it helps people make better choices because you feel better about yourself and you don't want to mess it up, so to speak. It's really interesting you mentioned that because I can remember years ago even hearing research of, of what happens to people when they start to exercise. It seems mm. to have these derivative benefits on other lifestyle mm-hmm. factors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it hits your self-esteem and your quality of life. And so you just want to keep that ball rolling. So speaking of balls and rolling balls, we got to come back to pickleball, right? <laughs> yeah. So we're back to pickleball. And, you know, a lot of folks, maybe like me, they're saying, okay, well, this guy's on the board. He's an ambassador <laughs> for pickleball. I mean, they, they may have never heard it, never seen anyone play it. So give us an idea, you know, different levels. So first of all, you're on the board of USA Pickleball. How many people are on the board? Yeah, there's seven of us on okay. the board currently, right. So basically, you're, you are a pretty big player in this field, right? I <laughs> well, mean, I'm still a volunteer. It's a volunteer position. Okay. We don't get paid for it. It's, uh, USA Pickleball is a nonprofit. Okay. And it's the national governing body of pickleball. So it makes the rules. Mm-hmm. It, it sets a lot of the standards in the sport. Uh, so yeah, but I'm, I'm a volunteer, you know, okay. and so, but yeah, it's, it's fun to be at that level, the national level to see how pickleball is evolving and growing. So we learned that before being a board member, you were an ambassador, mm-hmm. picked up mm-hmm. on that. And how many pickleball, USA pickleball ambassadors are there? There's just under 2000 in the U S. Okay. So speak to someone, maybe they're on a reservation, maybe they're in some area where they do a search, there's no mm-hmm. pickleball courts around, mm-hmm. and they got excited about what mm-hmm. we've been talking about here, and they're thinking, well, boy, you know, maybe I could start something here, maybe one day I could be an ambassador. I mean, is that something that people can aspire to, or is it something they're selected? Oh, sure. There's just an application for an ambassador, and I would say this, if they're interested in this, 
you know, us ambassadors, we are like the diehard of the diehards. Mm. I'll go and teach and preach it anywhere, anytime, any place. And so if you go on the website, usapickleball.org, one of the tabs will be about ambassador directory. And you can see and put in your zip code or your city and you can see, is there an ambassador near you? That would be my first step because if you can get in touch with an ambassador, they're going to be able to get you set up, have equipment, mm. do d- free demos. I, I teach free lessons to people who are just being – Wow. I, I am a certified pickleball coach. Uh-huh. So for those who are like training for tournaments, then they, they pay for those lessons. Uh-huh. But for people who are like here at the clinic, at the, at the conference or just like I've never heard of it, I want to learn, ambassadors, we do free lessons for people, whether it's schools, churches. I've done them at churches. Mm-hmm. I've done them at schools, YMCAs. So, yeah, find an ambassador nearest you, and that will be probably the best way to, to get started if you're interested. Okay, so here's what I've written down. You tell me if I got it right. Mm-hmm. USA, mm-hmm. pickleball, mm-hmm. P-I-C-K-L-E, ball, mm-hmm. right. dot O-R-G. Yeah, that's right. So if I'm listening today and I say, hey, this sounds great, um, do I have to get a few people together, or could a person just say, hey, I want to learn this and call an ambassador? Mm-hmm. Or would they say, you know, get a group of 10 people before I come out? No, you don't have to. I mean, if it's just you... You can just contact the ambassador. I would go out for one person. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. So, okay. yeah. But if you have two other people, then you can play doubles. That's right. Usually, we play doubles. But the younger crowd, they like to play singles because singles is a lot harder. Mm-hmm. With my cardiomyopathy, I have to use my timeouts because mm-hmm. it's a lot more running. Even though it's a smaller court, the uh-huh. ball doesn't bounce as much. So, uh-huh. singles is actually harder. But people who like that physical activity more, they'll play singles as well as doubles. Okay. And... Give us a feel for if I were today to kind of get into pickleball, start playing. You've talked about traveling around the country and mm-hmm. you know meeting other pickleball players. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a lot of us, I mean, it doesn't. I don't see a lot of people <laughs> playing pickleball. How many people are out there playing? Well, you know, the latest numbers at least from USA Pickleball's perspective, from what we've seen, you know, like the sports business side, they'll say there's about five million pickleball players now. Wow! But I just saw something last week from one of the pro tours, and they used another data set, another survey. Company, and they say there's probably closer to 20 million wow. people. So it's somewhere in between that, but it's it's definitely growing. I mean, it's just exploding everywhere I go. So one of the big messages that I'm taking away from today's program mm-hmm. is if I haven't found a form of exercise that has worked for me, if I'm not on a regular exercise program, I should definitely have pickleball on my list as one of those options. Mm-hmm. We tell people, you know, if they're not sure, I should just try it. Just mm-hmm. try it just once. And usually what will happen is, you know, I'd say like good 80%, they'll they'll get addicted after the first time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. If, if someone doesn't want to get addicted, maybe they shouldn't go the first time. Is that <laughs> it? Yeah. No, just try it. I'm, I'll <laughs> say try it, you know, and see if you like it. Uh-huh. And if you don't, maybe somebody else that you know might. So. No, it's a great message. And, and for those who may say, look, I've tried pickleball or, you know, racket sports or listen, I'm in a, a wheelchair. I can't, I've had an amputation. Oh, they well, they have wheelchair pickleball. Do they I mean, really? That, that's not an excuse. I played. Okay. I played against opponents. One lady had an artificial leg; she couldn't bend it, she couldn't run, but she was good. Really? See, that was the thing. And so that, yeah, I, I mean, they have wheelchair pickleball, you know, different. And we we're getting involved in Special Olympics. Uh-huh. So yeah, that that's you'd have to be a quadriplegic pretty much not to be able to play. Really? Yeah. So that is remarkable. <laughs> and this woman actually put you up for a challenge. She oh, playing against they beat you? us. Because really? that was our very first tournament. And uh-huh. I was wondering, why was she running with a stiff leg? I thought she had an injury. Uh-huh. And she was wearing tights, you know, like uh-huh. long-legged tights. And uh-huh. we didn't know she had an artificial leg till later on in the day. Huh. And we saw it. We're like, oh, man, we got beat by a one-legged lady. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. Because she was good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's encouraging. Pi- because pickleball emphasizes control and patience. Mm. It doesn't... Power is good, but it's probably third on the list. Because wow. if you have a lot of power, but you don't have patience or control, you will lose. My mom and I, I'm, I'm going to turn 58 this year. Uh-huh. My mom's 85. We've played against 20-year-old, you know, 20-something-year-olds, students, and we beat them easily. Really? Because they're fast, they're quick, they hit hard. Uh-huh. But if you can only do that and you don't have the control and the patience... You can get beat by a lot older people like my mom and I. Uh-huh. So, this yeah. Is, so, this so it really kind of levels the playing field, as it, it they does. say. It does. It does. So, Ernie, I know, as you shared with us, you do the health coaching uh, mm-hmm. training as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking there's one last group of people that maybe we want to speak to in this show. We don't have a lot of time. Okay. But often we're running into Native youth or others who are trying to search their way. Maybe it's a mid-career type uh, change, and people are hearing about this health coaching is this a viable direction for people to go now? Yeah. You know, there's a national board of uh, certification for health coaches now. They've been working with the AMA. And so now it is actually, um, it has a code for billing insurances. And so people now that used to be a health coach, but they just had to take patients uh, or clients uh, for out-of-pocket pay. Now, if they get nationally board certified, they would be eligible to bill insurances wow. once it passes the last step. I mean, it's in the final stages uh-huh, of getting uh-huh. approved. But now the national board has been working with the AMA and the, the whole medical system that sets all that up. So it is growing to be a viable career path for people who like to work with people to help them change their lifestyle behaviors. Now, I know we have a lot of listeners in the Southwest, uh, many in California. Mm-hmm. Loma Linda's right there. I mean, there's plenty of places they could could train for health coaching, but Mm -hmm. what does your program look like? How big a commitment is that as far as time if someone says, I want to get this certification? Well, so to sit for the national board exam, you have to be a certified coach first. So you have to go through another program. Uh Loma Linda, we have a certificate program. It just just consists of three classes. That, That gives you the three didactic classes you need to get our certification for being a health coach from Loma Linda. Mm-hmm. That then qualifies you to take the national board exam. And our program is actually, it's all online. Wow. And so you can do it from anywhere. I, I'm teaching one of those classes right now, Thursday nights, and we have a student in the Philippines, Saudi Arabia, Trinidad, and then the rest in the U.S. Oh, that's amazing. So you can take it from anywhere in the world, just those three classes. And I just would go to Loma Linda University mm-hmm. School of Public Health and look for health coaching? Yeah, exactly. If you just Google that, you'll get to the right page. And if yeah. someone remembers the name Ernie Medina, <laughs> M-E-D-I-N-A, that'll help them too, That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, so people can people usually track me down there. Okay. Ernie, yeah. it's been great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. We do need to wind up. Give us one more time the USA Pickleball address email. USAPickleball.org. Okay. So website is the best way, isn't it? Yes, yes. And I hope one day I want to I want to be with you on the court someday and I'll play with you. Okay, boy, this is raising the bar <laughs> for me. Okay, Ernie, thanks so much. We do have to step away. I want to thank each of you who've joined us today. Hopefully you've increased your motivation to either stick with an exercise program or adopt one. If you don't have one, hopefully now pickleball is on the list. I'm Dr. DeRose, wishing you, as always, the very best of health. Native Voice One. The Native American Radio Network.